Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Merry Resurrection Day. Hey, Mary. What are you calling Mary? <laughs> Fire sounds big. Yeah, what's that like? Very powerful. Good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. If you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Is everybody good? Very good. Luke chapter 24, just go ahead and turn there. I'm going to go through an introduction first, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Resurrection Day. Resurrection. Again, Jesus was resurrected because one day man's going to die. Everybody here will. We're told in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 that it's been appointed for man to die once. And so everybody has that divine appointment. Mark Twain said, each person is born to one possession which outvalues all the others, his last breath. His last breath. And every one of us one day will take that last breath. Now, I'm doing as I do most Easter Sunday morning services, looking at some notable deaths. It just kind of reminds us that, well, there's that day of ours that is coming. Last year, we talked about Mickey Rooney's death, the eternal young man, Shirley Temple's death, the eternal little girl, and then Russell Johnson. He died as well, because I can remember just in my life sitting there in the 60s watching TV. If you don't know Russell Johnson, he was the professor on Gilligan's Island. Now he's gone too. If you didn't know that, I hate to ruin your day. But death does not take a year off. There's already been many notable deaths. First one that kind of grabbed me was Leonard Nimoy, Spock's dead. Even Vulcans cannot escape death. Dean Smith, he's one of the most successful basketball coaches ever, he went on. Donna Douglas, that's Ellie Mae Clampett, has died, known for her coffee. And then Leslie Gore, it's my party, I can cry if I want to. Well, I was thinking about Leonard Nimoy. At the beginning of every Star Trek episode, they would have that little introduction and one of the quotes from it, speaking of outer space, it's the great unknown. Well, looking at society today, throughout the ages, it seems to me that outer space pales in comparison to the death of man. That truly is the great unknown. As a pastor, I participate, not in the causing it to happen, but being there when people die. And I've seen people die in despair. I've seen people die in disbelief, and it's a heart-wrenching thing because you just see again this condition that nobody can do anything about. And then I've been invited into some deaths of born-again believers who have died truly in faith and hope in the Lord, understanding that their future from that point, because they understand that that point is not the end, but a glorious beginning, is in the hands of God. But again, looking at our culture, maybe even some here today, it just confounds us. The day of death confounds us. Now, a good reflection of a culture is very accurately seen in the arts. And I would say the most popular art of the day is our music. When it comes to love and death, we can see the confusion that exists as 
death has been attempted or maybe the meaning of life attempted to be defined in that venue of art. It was in the 60s that Burt Bacharach asked somebody named Alfie to tell him, what is it all about? What's it all about, Alfie? Is it just for the moment we live? What's it all about, Alfie, when you sort it out? Are we meant to take more than we give? Or are we meant to be kind? And if only fools are kind, Alfie, then I guess it's wise to be cruel. And if life belongs only to the strong, Alfie, what will you lend to an old golden rule? As sure as I believe there's a heaven above, Alfie, I know there's something more, something even non-believers can believe in. I believe in love, Alfie. Without true love, we just exist, Alfie. Until you find the love that you've missed, nothing, Alfie. When you walk, let your heart lead the way, and you'll find love any day. Well, how ridiculous is that? I mean, I've sang the song. It's got, catchy, it's got a very catchy tune, but I've kind of come to the realization that as long as you set mindless drivel to a catchy tune, people will walk down the streets singing it. Some of the songs that I've kind of sang and hummed, even after salvation, you kind of look at the lyrics and you realize how ridiculous they are. Now, I know God is love, but, God, but love is not God. And so there's got to be the source of this love that this man is asking Alfie about. Moving into the next decade, into the 70s, the Moody Blues asks, why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door with a thousand million questions about hate, death, and war? Again, mankind's dilemma expressed through music, expressed through the arts. Today, Parnell Williams, because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like happiness is truth. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Again, just kind of mindless drivel set to a catchy tune. So it's because of death and the confusion and the despair that it brings apart from the Bible that we see the desperation of man, again, in the mourning of man. Now, as far as the world, and, and, and this is a point of contention when we share the Lord and we share he who has overcome death, even in the world today, but, well, there was another popular form of the art, this time a movie, which we get a lot of our philosophies as a society from, but it was a quote from, well, maybe 10 or 12, 15 years ago, whatever, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. And unfortunately, man can't handle the truth. So he'll walk around pretending that he's happy. He'll find somebody named Alfie to be his philosopher, but the problem is he never gets an answer. He'll continue to knock upon the door about hate, death, and war, but none of this makes any sense. Why would any society ever want to go to war with all of the death and the destruction? Because they try to try to form their own kingdoms here on earth because for so many, this is just what it is all about. When it's over here, it's over. But apart from the Lord, we can't handle the truth when it comes to living and dying because there's no truth in it whatsoever. Now, the Bible tells me that we are made in the image of God. Jesus Christ, when he was here, when he was on this earth, there was an event in John chapter 11 of a dear friend of his. The Lord was fully God and fully man, and he expressed emotions, and he had friends. And there was that one time when he came and was told that 
Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. And he went and he ministered to the family. And he saw in the midst of their despair the hopelessness of all humanity when it comes to death. Now, if you have never memorized a verse, I have a verse for you today. It's something that everybody, if you can memorize your name, because it's only really two words, you should be able to memorize this verse. John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, if you feel bad about memorizing that, I still put it here on my notes just so I wouldn't forget. (laughs) Jesus wept. What did Jesus weep about? What was it? The condition of mankind. The condition of mankind when faced with the reality of death of his end. And so, some 2,000 years ago, there's been a death. Somebody's appointed day has arrived. And we see this in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Now, on the first day of the week, this would be the very first Easter Sunday, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus... And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day risen again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And the words seemed to be, seemed to, be to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooped down. He saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, we're going to be moving into verse 13. Now, this is the same day, same day as the Lord's resurrection. Two men are now walking down a road to a city about seven miles from Jerusalem. I say two men, two people are. This is the road to Emmaus. They're going back home. In their mind, it's over. We have this man who seemed to be such a great hope, great hope to us, but a great hope to all of humanity throughout all of the ages. But then we saw, we saw a couple days ago, they could say, we saw him hung upon a cross. We, we saw the, the, this man who was going to deliver us. They were expecting from Rome, but I'm sure there's some who had the spiritual, correct spiritual interpretation as well. He was going to deliver us from all that which haunts mankind. But then all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our aspirations, they ended at the cross. At least that's what they thought. So much that Peter, who Jesus pointedly told that he's going to be delivered into the hands of man, he's going to be crucified, but he's going to be resurrected as well. That point didn't seem to really stick with them. And so we have these two. As they walk together, they wonder, what's it all about, Alfie? We were looking for someone to change our lives. We were looking for a miracle in our lives, and they're so unhappy. They're so unhappy because they, at this point, do not understand that the resurrected Lord, just as surely, if you're a born-again believer, has entered into your life to give you hope, they're about to find hope in Jesus Christ as well. And so it's with this apparent death and defeat and that which it brings, which is, well, 
It was just witnessed upon Mount Calvary. Now these two disciples, they, in their confusion, they're just going home and doing the best they can. They're going home to a warm bath. Going home to a warm bath? My Bible doesn't say it. Well, it probably does. You just don't understand it. Emmaus means warm bath. They're just going back to comfort and what they understand. They're going back to the old life. They're trying to find peace somehow, however it is that they're able to carve it out. Who are these two disciples? Well, verse 18, we're told it's Cleophas. The second, I believe the Apostle John gives us a clue in John chapter 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clophus. Clophus is his name. Clophus. And so they were there. They saw, she saw, we're, we're poignantly told, that Jesus, she was there when Jesus died upon the cross. And so in her mind, she's seen the death of all of her hopes. So we have this husband and wife seeking answers when it comes to death and resurrection. And that's a good place to start if you're married. My wife and I, God met us together. God met us together in a very profound way. And God has changed and altered our lives. And as the two became one, he he did it in such a way that, well, it caused quick growth within our lives. Because there was the two became one, but there was always so much confusion. There was arguing, there was all the things that various couples go through, competition and all of these things, but it's through the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that we've realized in him that God has truly done a work, and I really believe the same thing with these two disciples. So what we're going to see here today, this morning, in four events that occurred and continue to happen today, four events that were going on in that travel, in that seven-mile journey that continue to happen today. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14, and we're going to see two talkings. Verses 15 through 27, two walkings. Verses 28 through 32, sitting and eating. And verses 33 through 35, going and sharing. Just events that that are very common to just about all of us. And so, first of all, we have these two disciples that are just talking. Verses 13 through 14. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. It's just a picture of the endless chatter that goes on in all of humanity apart from true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from the belief of the infallibility of the word of God and the understanding of the word of God. And we've got chatter as they've never had chatter today. You can turn on a blog or the TV or the internet and, you know, there's millions of other ways to do it. If you have one of those old-fashioned things called the radio, you could turn on one of those as well. And there's all of this chatter and this chatter that just never stops. And now we come to Easter time and even the world is kind of curious and, and, and you can see it. I, I, I look at CNN as far as to see what's going on in the world and on the internet site. And they're trying to define who Jesus is. And we have the movies trying to define who Jesus is and taking these wild guesses and and even accepting some of these things as true. Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene and having children. And there was some other kind of far out ridiculous thing that, uh, that is kind of coming about now. I don't even remember what it is at the moment. But you have all of this chatter. And all of this chatter is just based upon human intellect that has never been able to get man anywhere never able to lead him before the truth of God Paul McCartney the philosopher of the 60s and 70s and maybe through even today said all the lonely people where do they come from 
all the lonely people, where do they all belong? Apart, apart from Jesus Christ, they don't know. They don't have a clue. And man continues to wonder, and he continues to not understand. In verse 21, it says, But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel Indeed, because all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Notice he's speaking in past tense. But we were hoping. We were hoping. We were hoping in a deliverer of some sort. Again, there's that defeated spirit. Maybe one day he'll still come is their mindset. And so what had just occurred the Friday before was the stealing away in their mindset of their hopes, dreams, and even finding peace. And it was all because of that great enemy, death. And so what are they able to do about it? The same thing, again, that humanity is able to do about it today is just talk. Every opinion, every TV, radio show, it's what it's based upon. Again, podcast, blog, email. Every express view that changes absolutely nothing. And every death that destroys hope, the hope of mankind, at least mankind, as he's put his hope anywhere beside the Lord. It's because apart from Christ, the expression of our brains, talk, is a lot of just empty words when it comes to, when it comes to understanding all of these things. Because, well, we've got this great war, the civil war, and we have a nation divided, and over 500,000 men were killed during that time. And you think you would have had enough, but there were other people that rose up with other ideas, and all of a sudden World War I comes upon the scene, and now millions of Americans are killed, uh, not including all of those who were killed in, in Europe, or the Europeans that were killed. And that was supposed to be the war to end all wars. But somebody else comes up with a different set of ideas, and all of a sudden we've got World War II. And it's estimated that there was close to 55 million people that were killed during that time period as far as Russia and the people, their own people that they exterminated, Israel and the Jews, and then those who fought and died in war. And then we have the Korean War, just a matter of years later. You think we would have had enough. But again, there's the idea of communism and the direction that communism is going. And then the Vietnam War. And we're still at war even today. And we just see this quagmire of, well, just a mess that has come from the human intellect. And so Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the answer. But until you find the answer in Christ, it's nothing but confusion. Sir William Osler, an unbeliever, said, A man dies as he had lived, influenced by the thought of a future life, apart from the thought of a future life. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 12 says, Of many books there is no end, and more study is wearisome to the flesh. Where these volumes of men's words lead us to? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. 1 Corinthians 3, 19 through 20, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. All of this talk under the shadow of the cross, but apart from the knowledge of what occurred there, man continuing on in his ignorance. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God, empty words, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What is it that sparked their conversation? This cross, this cross that brought death, but in their mind destroyed hope. And as we look at Good Friday, we, we defined the cross last, well, the Bible defines the cross. We look at how the Bible defined the cross on Good Friday. It's God's logo of love. 
It's God's expression of love to mankind. The cross of Christ was God showing how much that he loved you. And again, I'm not saying you all. I'm saying you as an individual. Jesus Christ was willing to go to pay that price for your sins so that you could have fellowship with him for all of eternity. This is the wisdom of God. Why is it presented as foolishness in Corinthians? Well, in Corinthians, in, in Greece of the day, it was the hotbed of human intellect. And the idea was is that you latched on to a philosopher. Our philosophers today are usually expressed to us in the arts, maybe in the universities. But you latched on to a philosopher and the philosopher's philosophy. And maybe it would even do kind of well for you as you followed that. But the problem was when that philosopher would die, you'd realize it had no real profound effect upon him. And once that philosopher died, you knew he wasn't coming back. And so this is the foolishness of God. Our philosopher dies right out of the gate. He dies out of the gate, and it's seemingly that he's been defeated. But our philosopher comes back to life. He's risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead, and he has displayed himself to all humanity. And it's undeniable. I mean, you can deny who he was, but it's undeniable that these things have happened. And it's undeniable that it worked a change some 2,000 years ago because we're still talking about these things. You still see the changed life of a true born-again believer. And as you see these things, you've got to understand the reality and how tangible that was that happened so long ago. And if you're a born-again believer, this should strengthen your faith and increase your hope that, that my Savior truly did die on the cross. This isn't fantasy. This is reality. And for those who are able to receive that, again, you see God, well, you see that your Redeemer lives. He lives within your heart, and He lives within the hearts of those whom you fellowship with. So, Know this, there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. There are only people in situations who have given up hope. Now enter the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 15 through 27, we have two walking. So it was while they conversed and reasoned, so again talking, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad. Then the one whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this today, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, this certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They're still ignorant at this point. They're kind of looking and they're examining the facts. But they're looking and not recognizing, although there's an opportunity. 
there's an opportunity because now they are listening. And whenever anybody will listen, there's always an opportunity because we have the power of God to change lives, the gospel. And that's what we see the picture of here is Jesus brings the gospel into the situation. So notice how Jesus meets a society. Again, verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? He meets them through the events of their lives. Jesus has given us very rich teachings of prophecies of end-time theology. Do you notice what's going on all over the world? Matter of fact, I look on that same CNN website this morning, and they say Christianity is in danger of becoming uh, distinct, distinct, um, being wiped out in the Middle East. It's in grave danger of being completely wiped out in the Middle East. Now, we've been told that these things are going to happen, but these things are happening even right now. And that was Jesus' point. Look at the things that are happening. Look at the sign of the times. Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And what Jesus is doing is, because these guys got seeds, they got seeds. They got seeds of little fragments of things that they heard and things that they've known, not necessarily things they understand. And that's the point where Jesus meets them and is going to water those seeds. And then verses 20 through 27, we see the point where truth meets confusion, where the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of God meets man in the confusion of death and despair. Because the truth will always meet man in despair. Even the unbeliever will realize that as we get asked so many times to do funeral for people who do not attend a church just because, well, in their mind, it's what you're supposed to do. Now, instead of an ignorant conversation, we have an informed discussion that could really be the start of something big here. And so we have it in, in verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us? And so we've got them in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And there's once again, as we've seen it earlier before, and these two people walking, now they're walking with Jesus Christ. And as they're walking with Jesus Christ, their heart burns. Notice that heart here is singular. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 39, then I will give them one heart and one way. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And the idea is, is just Jesus knitting his heart with all of mankind. And now their heart is burning as they're seeing these truths spoken to them. Thirdly, we see the sitting and eating. Verse 28, when they drew near the village where they were going, that he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they were, uh, but they constrained him saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us as he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scripture to us? It's a personification of what is written later on. The Apostle John will write in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And so what they have is is this intimate fellowship. It's the intimate fellowship that man is able to have 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. The consumption of Christ, not the eating and digesting, but that true fellowship with God. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, Moses had that time with the Lord. It was a bush burning. But have you ever experienced the burning of Christ within you? Again, for some, it's conviction. It's, it's as the gospel is shared, and it's the conviction. And my heart, you know, I, you know as, you, as you separate, and maybe you didn't make a decision for Christ at that time, but you just knew that there was something about what they were saying. And your heart burned within you because there was that conviction. Or maybe an inspired sermon when God was speaking, it seemed like it was only you in that room, asking your spouse, what did you tell him? But your heart burned within you because you knew that God was talking to you. Well, that's what's going on here. Again, previously the Lord burned within a bush, but now this day God burns within the souls of mankind. And then verses 33 through 35, there's the going and the sharing. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Just simply taking the experience of their walk with Christ and their watered, planted seed. And so, have you found the peace of God? Have you ever, through belief, allowed that burning within your heart to be quenched? See, it's he who is the only way. It's the only way that we'll be able to find peace in this life because he suffered upon that cross. And the reason for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, is to lend towards the proof. The proof that Jesus was raised from the dead, and just as surely as Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead as well. Now, there's been many opinions of mankind contrary to that as far as what's going to happen. But again, it's a lot of mindless chatter. There is that day. There's that day for all of us. Where is it that you are going to be? What is it that you believe today? And how great do you believe today? Just in finishing this, I just want something for everybody here to consider. Don't just look at this as a Easter sermon, I hope a unbeliever gets saved, because really this last point, it convicted me down to my very soul. Looking at, the, again, the current events, the murders in Kenya, 147 Christians. Well, it was a day like any other day. It was the start of the day. It was early. I think it was about 5 o'clock in the morning their time. And they heard the explosions and the gunshots, and these terrorists were going through, and they were looking for Christians. Now, this particular, I think it was a college, may have been a high school, but I think it was a college. They had Muslims and Christians there. And so what they did is they entered in and they separated the Muslims from the Christians. And you can ask, how do they know? How did they separate the Muslims and the Christians? They simply asked them. They simply asked them, are you a Muslim or are you a Christian? And just think if that was put to you. I mean, you can take out the Muslim and put anything in there that you really want. But knowing that your answer could very well cost you your life. Why would they even do it that way? Because even a Muslim knows and understands that a true born-again believer will not deny Jesus Christ, even if it requires them their life. Now, why would somebody have such great faith and such awesome hope? Because they know just as surely as their Redeemer lives, 
that even if they, and they had them, most of them kneeled down and shot them execution style with a bullet through the back of their head, they still knew and they still understand that as their Redeemer lives, that they will live as well. And so I'm looking at that and thinking, would I be able to give such a confession for Christ? Now, I did on the day I was born again symbolically, but I don't want to dumb this down, but symbolically, when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I gave of my life. I surrendered my life to Him. And Lord, here it is. Take it as that living sacrifice. But how much, again, don't, Christian, don't let this get past you. Have you stood up for Christ? How about when you were asked just maybe at, at work? And maybe you were kind of afraid, not of getting shot in the back of the head, but maybe being spoken about, maybe being about being ridiculed or whatever it might be. Here are people who now, you've got to think of it, they didn't just shoot all 147 at once. It, It was kind of systematic, and you knew your time was coming, and you could have denied the Lord, but they kept the faith to the very end. And it's just an amazing thing that I see that these people and how strong they were that they confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus because they believed in the heart that God raised them from the dead and they knew that they were saved. And do you see the profound impact that that had upon their life? And there's no excuse that this would not have a profound impact upon our lives that our witness would be just as rich as their witness is that our witness wouldn't go out just as their witness went out. Because there's so many people out there talking, but we've got the truth to speak. There's so many people out there walking, living their lives as they live their lives. We've got an opportunity to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were willing to give up their lives for him. Are you willing to give up your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm not even saying unto death. More than likely, there's not going to be a person here who is going to be martyred for their faith. But you need to martyr yourself for your faith. You need to die to the flesh and the world and the things of the world. Because the problem today is is that the church is not acting like the church. Well, they're acting like the redefinition of the church. They're gathering together in buildings and all of these things. But are we really going out and making disciples? Are we taking the message out of the sanctuary and bringing it into the streets? Are we living a life that somebody could look at us and say, man, that person's willing to give all, just as truly as those Christians in Kenya were willing to give all. Are you Muslim? Are you a Christian? Because I know if you're a Christian, you're not going to call yourself a Muslim. I'm a Christian. Kneel down. Kneel down. And so many people would say, why would they kneel down before those people so willingly? They weren't. They were kneeling down before their Savior. Here I am, Lord. Come and take me. Come and take me. And they gave of their lives. We give the invitation and so many people are afraid to raise their hand, to speak out, to receive Jesus Christ because they know it's going to require my life. Well, we see the example of those did across the other side of the world. And you see the profound effect that it had that it makes me wonder. Does it make me doubt my salvation? What kind of Christian even am I? Am I as vocal If they came here today, would I be willing to give of my life? Would I be willing to lay it down? Would I be willing to lay it down and give that witness? I'm not talking even worldwide, but what if my son or my daughters were watching? What if my grandchildren were watching? What would this man who calls himself pastor do? This man who calls himself Christian do? We all need to consider that. 
nobody will truly know the answer to that until you have the opportunity to do that. But it's this which we must truly consider. We must consider today, where am I at with Christ? And if you're confused, if you would, you need to get right with the Lord today. You need to devote yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ to the degree that he devoted himself to you. Now, you'll never do anything of the magnitude that he did upon the cross, but the time has come to stop play acting. The time has come to stop just playing the game and playing the act and and having that, that, that outward expression of Christianity because I call myself a Christian or I own a Bible, but to truly act like it and understand that the magnitude to which I display Christ will express the magnitude of the work that he has done in my life. Father, I just pray as we saw what has happened so long ago, and Lord, we saw how you met these people on that road. They were looking for a worldly comfort, if you will, going to take a bath, but Lord, it's there that you met them. In the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their lack of understanding, and Lord, you entered in and you changed and you altered their lives in a very profound way. And Lord, we see that working today. We see that working. Lord, we live in a time here in the United States of America of relative peace and protection. But Lord, there are people on the other side of the world, in Africa, in the Middle East, in China, throughout this world, that are giving their lives based upon the simple fact that you have given your life for them. They know and they understand that their Redeemer lives. And so I ask you right now, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, is there anybody here? Is there anybody here willing to stand for a God that has stood so boldly for them? Are you willing to sacrifice your life this day? You're not going to physically die, but prayerfully you do die to the old person. Maybe you've called yourself a Christian. Maybe you even are a Christian, but you haven't lived up to what God has done. And so I'm just going to give an opportunity. Again, this is something that occurs within a person's heart. And I've, I've prayed about this and I thought about this. And I don't want anybody to think just because they raise a hand or walk down or any of these things that you're saved. But this is an outward expression of what God is doing in your heart. And that's why, well, it's about being a, a witness here at the church. And so we ask for an outward expression of what Christ has done. Everybody that Christ called, he did so in a very public manner. And so if you're convicted by those young people in, in Kenya that were willing to stand in a way that you're not so sure that you would be able to stand, are you willing to take the first step? Are you willing to take the first step? Because I guarantee you, if you're willing to take the first step, Christ will take the first step with you. There was that tabernacle in the wilderness. It was very plain and most people would understand the power of God because he delivered them from Egypt, but they would look at this tabernacle, this dwelling place of God, and not understand. Well, you never understand until you enter in. And if there's anybody here who desires to enter into that strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, stand for him. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand and allow me to acknowledge it. I see your hands here to my right. Now, this is between you and God. You're not doing it for my benefit or the church's benefit. We're not going to harass you. We just want to pray with you. Is there anybody else? Based upon what we've seen across this world, God's given us just this opportunity even now to show that he's working in the hearts of men and women 
Lift your hand up. Lift your hand. It doesn't matter what anybody else may think. I see your hand here to my right as well. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? This needs to be an outward expression of your heart and what God's doing. Don't do it for my benefit again. I see your hand in the back to my right and your hand to my left. Maybe you've compromised. Maybe you've called yourself a believer and taken the name of the Lord thy God in vain, taking his name upon you but not acting accordingly. Raise your hand. Raise your hand before the Lord. I see your hand to my left. Maybe you were given the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and you kept your mouth closed when you should have spoken out. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I see your hand here to my left in front. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Just know that God's speaking to you and you need to give that public witness. You can put your hands down. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I lift up those who have raised their hands before you, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. I pray, Father, that you would use them. And Lord, even as you already have as that witness, because we see the only thing that happened here today was just a teaching of your word. We have the example of the saints, but really that's just the word working in the lives of the saints. And so, Father, I pray for those who have raised their hands that they truly as well would not count their lives dear, but just give all for Jesus. Give all for Christ and to be used by Christ, to truly be crucified with Christ. Understanding is no longer us who live, but Christ who lives within us. This life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and has given his life for us. And so, Lord, we just praise you for all that you're doing. We pray for next service and pray, Father, for the work that you want to do there. Just giving it all to you and your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?